So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. This is God's word. Welcome to the sixth installment of our little series called Rattle. I want you to feel welcome. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors and we keep reading that passage over and over at the beginning because it's the theme of the thing. Are you with me? Right? And I'm praying for and have even begun to feel a bit of a rattle. I know for those that are with us uh, from Manistee, I've heard stories of how God is moving and how God seems to be breathing into people here in Buckley or wherever people are watching from. You know, it seems like this has become a bit of a tag and it's not because of us. It's because God's people are drawing near to God. And remember the whole theme, when we draw near to God, he draws near to us. And that's all revival is is when God's people believe again and begin to draw near together. But this is the sixth installment this weekend. And if you've noticed, we've we've just been pointing out the obvious about drawing near and about the biggest rattle of all time, which was Easter, right? When uh, the bones of Jesus, new life was breathed into them and that changed everything. Well, after Easter, what we've been looking at is, okay, how do we maintain this new life? If my bones, my dry bones, my spiritual dry bones, new life has been breathed into them, how do we maintain it? Or how do we get it if we don't have it? Is it some magical thing? Do I need to pray harder? If you missed last weekend, it was a great, great message. Pastor Tim and Pastor Martin tag-teamed on a message called The Quiet. And, And there was a thing that, that the Pastor Tim said that just gripped me when he was talking about sometimes our prayer life means to be about listening. And, and I, I thought it was worthy of writing down when he said, if we were all to suddenly go mute right now, we've already said enough words to God. Didn't you love that? If you didn't, there's something wrong with you. Well, we pursue him and draw near in the quiet. This weekend, what I'd like to look at is how we draw near with one another. Now, I've got to share a story with you before we get there. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. But for those of us uh, that were here over the Passion Week and on Easter weekend, those of us that didn't run away to go on vacation someplace like a heathen, um, we, we challenged one another, hey, what would it look like for us to fast from sundown on Good Friday to sunrise on Easter, roughly 36 hours. Now, I've done fasts before, but I don't think I've ever done one quite like that, right? I've done a day fast, uh, I've done a 24-hour, but 36 hours was next-level stuff. And I know some of you, you know, couldn't do it, and some of us didn't want to do it, and you should never do it because you're being shamed to, but I was pretty excited uh, that, that some people that I'm pretty close to uh, within the church, men that I've been uh, friends with or, or been in fight club together because, the, you know, 
really, I just call these guys kind of my crew, right? My crew of guys. Not they're my crew. It's not like I'm the leader of the crew. I'm just saying these are the guys I like to hang with, watch a Super Bowl with, maybe go golfing with. Some of these guys, I wish they'd fix my retaining wall for me, but that's all right, right? This is my crew. You know, we chuck and jive. We know stuff about each other. We've gone deeper in relationship. I knew these guys were fasting too. Now, in a 36-hour fast, it's, remember I told you it started on sundown on Friday. At, at the point Saturday about 5 o'clock, I was starving. Like, it was not just a hunger pain, drink some water, have a coffee, a, a Diet Coke or something and move on. It was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to make it. And, you know, my kids were fasting and we all kind of had a case of the grumbles, you know, and we were trying not to be that guy. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Did you feel that four or five o'clock? Yeah. And so I just felt compelled by God to do something to encourage because I knew my bros, wherever they were, were struggling. And some of them were in Florida and some of them were working and some of them were in Mexico. And I was like, all right, I know what I'm going to do. Yes, Lord, I'll obey. And so I decided to text them a picture of encouragement. Here, here is the first picture I sent them. <laughs> it's a true story. And uh, there's, there's one guy, the first guy to respond is actually the biggest man in, in this room in Buckley right now, all right? Uh, and I'm not talking about Britain Bishop. I'm talking about yeah, Britain, yeah, bigger than Britain, right? Uh, his name may or may not have been Tom. His response to me was, don't poke the bear. <laughs> That was the first response was, don't poke the bear. And then it was like, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep sending pictures. So I decided we needed some surf and turf, right? Oh, look at that butter. I'm hungry right now. And then there was just like this mutual, oh, this is misery. And then someone started a group text, right? So then I had to add the, the, the holy grail right there, right? I don't know if that's a ribeye or a T-bone. It doesn't matter. It's red meat. Delicious, right? So... What happened, and this has a point, I promise, in the midst of that suffering, and yeah, the suffering was self-induced, but in the midst of that suffering, the text thread started firing back, and I don't even know who started it, because I was texting them individually, and then all of a sudden, there's a bunch of guys, some are on staff, some are not, some of the texts I can read you, some of them I cannot. (laughs) We're a family environment, so here we go. This is the first one. This text said, I'm going to a different church that doesn't talk about fasting, (laughs) right? This one may or may not have come from our student ministries pastor. I can neither confirm nor deny that he said, I've been licking countertops just to try and get some flavor, (laughs) right? In fact, someone else sent a a, a steak on the the phone and and someone said, I tried scratch and sniff and it doesn't work. Uh, and again, we don't hurt anybody's feelings, but uh, someone texted, true story, it said, on the bright side, uh, I have barely had to um, use the bathroom today. <laughs> I guess that was the bright side of fasting, right? And then the response to that, someone else wrote, too bad we didn't do this last year when there was a toilet paper shortage. <laughs> you with me? You with me? Don't, don't leave yet. There's a point, Right. And then my friend who happened to be in Mexico who was really struggling because uh, he was fasting, but his wife was not at an all-you-can-eat like buffet, right? And so to torture himself, he went to the buffet with her just to watch her eat, right? And we had to get the play-by-play. Well, then all of a sudden he texts, an iguana walked by all casual, had no idea how close I was to chewing on his face, <laughs> right? And of course... Um, 
he, he couldn't help but have the last word. And so this was the last bit of encouragement, deeply spiritual, that he sent to me. It says, you're a terrible preacher and a worse human being, Jonathan. You ought to be ashamed using your influence to torture people, right? <laughs> now, isn't that the best, right? I found myself in the midst of that misery laughing. And, and I did to my kids what I just did to you. I started reading to them. I'm, I'm, I'm reading the text to them, and we're laughing out loud, right? As we're like, uh, just trying to draw near, and whatever fasting is, this isn't about fasting. It's about a crew of people doing something together. And somehow in that, we were able to make it through. And I'm going to tell you, on Easter at sunrise, I ate everything. And it was amazing. There's, a, there's an awesome lady that works on, on our staff as our administrator at this campus here in Buckley. Her name is Tracy. She made some sort of sausage gravy, like hash brown. I don't know. It didn't matter. All the breakfast foods in one crock pot. And when we got here to church, I think I ate half of it. There was none left for the band, right? But it was the crew coming together in this shared experience, right? In, in fact, one of, uh, one of my friends, when I got here um, on Sunday, we, we were laughing still about the misery of the day before and the text thread. And you know what he said? He said, in the military, we have an expression. It's called embrace the suck. Because sometimes it just gets rough. And all you can do is embrace it. Now, I'm not saying that to use inappropriate language or anything like that, but sometimes it, life is hard, is it not? But when you have someone to like face it with, you just kind of embrace the suck together and you make it. That's the beauty of relationship. And this is important because this is the point of the message this weekend. It's simply this, that the Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. The Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. I've been at this church about 18 years. And one thing that I've witnessed is how many of us, myself included, come to the church, participate in church, even serve in church, but find a way to somehow successfully keep church at arm's length. Until the suck hits. And then all of a sudden we're desperate. And wonder where's the church? Where's my people? This is what I'm saying. You can come to church in Buckley. You can come to church in Manistee. You can watch church online and be completely isolated. You can serve and be completely isolated. You can know people's name and they know you and they have nothing to do with your life. Your everyday life. They don't know what you're struggling with. They don't know where you're hurting. They don't know when your relatives die. They don't know when you need prayer. They wouldn't know if you went off the rails and needed an intervention. The Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. And the sad thing is, is many of us think that we're the exception. We're like, no, you don't know how much I know about the Bible. I've been in church forever, and that's for those young people, and that's for someone else. You don't know how hard I work or how many hours I do. And you know, your, your excuses are not valid. All of your excuses are lies. Because everything about the way our faith journey is set up by God points to relationship. And it points to community. 
And so the reason this message this weekend is called The Crew is that's kind of, you know, as the kids say, those that you roll with, right? Ladies, it's the one that you want to do the getaway shopping with and talk about how terrible your husbands are. Come on, you know it's true. Bros, it's the Christian guys that you want to roll with and sit around a campfire and talk about how you can draw near to God together. It's the men that you sit with at a fight club table. Students understand this. this these are their friends that they Twittergram and Instaface each other about, right? But then that they also know their real names and really know what's going on in their lives. And the thing is, as, as some of the other guys on our staff have said, you can have a lot of social media friends and really not have any real friends. Who's your crew? Who knows you? Who cares about you? Who goes to those deep places with you? The Christian life, it's not meant to be lived alone. There's a sin here that we need to be careful of. And I want you to hear me carefully. The ideal in our country, the ideal in this part of the country, in this part of Michigan, is to be completely self-sufficient, isn't it? And if there's anything we've learned in COVID, it's, oh, we can't trust anybody, especially the man. So I have to be self-sufficient. I have to be stocked up, generated up. I got to get the solar panels. I got to dig the bunker. I got to fix my communication line. So I always have comms if I need them, but I really don't want them. And we want to be self-sufficient. And when that attitude comes into the church, When it comes into our spiritual life, it's a problem. I call it the sin of self-sufficiency. Think about that. Wait a minute. I thought self-sufficient is a good, so I don't have to rely on anybody. That's why I work hard and I save my money, and I'm not talking about that. Well, you know, I don't want to be Mr. Needy guy, Mr. Cable guy, always banging on everybody's door. I'm not talking about that either. We all have needs at times, and and yeah, sometimes we need to just kind of suck it up a little bit. But when I'm talking about self-sufficiency, self-sufficiency, that sin leads to self-centeredness, which is a form of self-worship, or it can become self-righteousness. You know that one word that keeps repeating self, 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 self? That leads me straight back to pride, which is the root of all sin. I don't need anybody to leave this Christian life. My friends, one of the reasons we started Fight Club at this church is because it's epidemic among men. Because deep inside the men, men, I love you, I am one, but I know you because I have the same fear. Deep inside, we don't want to be found out that we don't know the answers, aren't good enough, can't provide, aren't holy enough, can't pray right. And so what we do is we withdraw. We become passive. We stay out of close relationship so no one will know. Here's the deal. God knows. And then when life hits you like a truck, who are your brothers to encourage, to pick you up, to pull you back from the precipice, from the edge? We all need it. Even preachers. The Christian life is not meant to be lived alone, and when we think that we can be spiritually self-sufficient, oh, I just thought about this right now. How are you spiritually self-sufficient? As if you could save your eternal soul. Anyone here capable of saving their eternal soul? Scripture says we are dead in sin, helpless, and lost without Jesus. 
We're not self-sufficient at all. I'm a little too fired up. I should calm down. Think about scripture. The very first book of the Bible, God created everything good. Kept saying good, good. He created the first man. What was the first thing that was not good? It was not good that the first man was alone. He wasn't self-sufficient. He was alone. He needed a friend. God made Eve. Praise God. What about Moses? Big leader, the greatest prophet, one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. He was trying to lead alone. He was trying to lead this million plus people alone. And what is Jethro, his father-in-law? He said, you can't do this alone. You need help. You need to divide them up by thousands and hundreds and fifties and so forth and so on. Moses, you need some help because he was alone. What about David? The great sin of David. This is a spoiler alert from when we get into 2 Samuel. What's the great sin of David? That chapter that begins his sin of adultery with Bathsheba and then the murder of Uriah. It begins this way. In the springtime when kings go off to war, David stayed back. His crew went off to serve and fight and get after it. And he was like, I'm going to sit this one out. And you know, this season I'm not going to be in fight club. Because you know, I've kind of been there and done that. He becomes independent and becomes isolated. The greatest sin of Israel's greatest king because he was alone. Elijah, his dark moment in the cave all by himself. I'm the last prophet left. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I guess I'll go eat worms. Elijah was alone. Judas. Judas betrayed Jesus. Alone. Peter denied he knew Jesus three times. When he was alone. I'm going to confess to you right now. My worst failures. My greatest sin. Personally happens when I've been isolated and I'm alone. You know who's not alone? God. Do you know God eternally exists in community in perfect relationship? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's called the Trinity. Perfect community. God loving the Son, the Son loving the Father, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of love between them. They eternally exist in perfect community. They're not isolated. God is not isolated. God is not alone. If it's good enough for God to be in community, I've got a feeling it's good enough for me. Jesus wasn't alone. In his perfect ministry on earth. I believe it's in Matthew chapter 5. Do you know what he says? He says, I can do nothing by myself. I can do nothing on my own. I only do what the Father tells me and what I see the Father doing. Perfect community. In his earthly ministry, what did he do? First thing, he called those to be in his crew. And he had a really big crew. Thousands followed him. But 12 were his closest friends. That's why my favorite number of a fight club table is 12. It's not rocket science, y'all. And even in that crew, he had three that were even closer. Jesus wasn't. He wasn't alone. So then we look to Hebrews. 
Hebrews speaks to this. In Hebrews chapter 10, I want to read a passage starting in verse 19, and we're going to break it out, break it down in the time we have left. He says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, don't get lost. Did you catch that? Let us draw near. Sound familiar? Oh, for the love of all that's holy. Please tell me that sounds familiar. Okay, because we've been saying it for four weeks and we don't need rattle to go 60 weeks. Are you with me? He says, let us draw. He goes, since we have Jesus, he's our great high priest and he's died for us on the cross, And we can confidently come near to God. He says, let us draw near with a true heart. Okay? And then in verse 23, he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. So this is how to keep the rattle going. This is how to keep the revival in your hearts and in the revival in our church. There's three let us's. I've read two of them. Let us draw near. We're already doing that. That's individual. Let us hold fast. That's faith. That's individual. Now watch this. Verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, those are some verses in light of what we've been talking about, right? He says, let us draw near, let us hold fast, and let us consider. The drawing near is individual. The hold fast, that's about your faith. It means persevere, hang on just a little bit longer. Don't lose hope, don't lose heart, don't lose faith. But the consider how... There's three distinct things that he mentions. And and I'm going to tell you, it all has to do with one another. It all has to do with not being alone. You can't do these things in a vacuum. You can't do these things yourself if you decide that you're going to live the Christian life in isolation. Am I making sense? Here's the first thing he says. He goes, let's consider how to stir up one another. To stir up. Now, I love that. Right, right there. Because you know when someone comes in a room and they just stir things up, do you know what they're doing? They're rattling them. Ha <laughs> ha. See how I did that? Yeah. Stir, how do we stir each other up? It says stir, stir up to what? Stir up one another to love and good works. Love and good works, this is what the Christian is called to. To use our gifts, our talents, our abilities, our personality, our resources, our homes, our lives. He's saying, let's spend time thinking how to stir one another up. Sometimes I feel like being a pastor, y'all just want to stir me up. This is going to rattle his cage. Eh, why don't you rattle each other for a minute? I got enough people rattling me. Stop emailing. Sorry, did I say that out loud? Yeah, I did. My bad, right? He's saying in the Christian life with your crew, with these people that you're in relationship with, that you serve with, that you're in a women's Bible study with, that you go to foundry with, how do you stir one another up to love and good works? It doesn't say be the boss of one another. You know, I was actually thinking about this uh, when, when on the aftermath of sending all those vicious food texts during the fast. Do you know what I was doing? I was stirring them up. 
I wanted to stir up some of that surf and turf, but the fast wasn't over yet, right? He says, let us consider how to stir one another up. It says in the book of Proverbs that as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another person. And we love to quote that and put that on men's ministry retreat paraphernalia. And it's one of those that we just begin to ignore. It's like, be still and know that I am God. We quote that. We don't even know what it means sometimes. But think about that. This iron that sharpens iron. I know there was a time in my life that I may have been iron, but I wasn't being sharpened. I was dull. (laughs) And it wasn't until I got in relationship with other men of iron, other men of faith, that I got sharpened. And I've, I, I tell stories up here about that to, to point to that end. I'll, I'll never forget the first time I had a mentor put his hand on the back of my neck and ask me if I prayed with my wife. And I hemmed and hawed and went back and forth. And then it was like, you mean to tell me, da, 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 and I'm probably not appropriate to say here, but the men's in the fight club know how I say that. And he called me out. And iron was sharpening iron. An accountability relationship was born. And I'd like to think that I've become a better man because of it. Do you have anyone who stirs you up? Or are you the only stirrer-upper? Do you have someone who's further down the road than you that can exhort you, that can teach you, that can mentor you? I do. I do. There are also people that can speak into my life. And sometimes instead of sharpening the iron, they have to use the blunt end of the hammer. To get my attention. We all need that. Every single one of us. This Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. It says in James chapter 5 that part of this crew, part of finding some people that you can trust is so that you can confess your sins one to another. Do you remember that verse? It says confess your sins one to another. And we don't believe it has to be a priest. doesn't have to be a pastor. That's not what the Bible says. It says confess your sins one to another and you will be healed. You know why? When, when, when we confess our sin, when we confess the things that we're struggling with to someone that we can trust, you don't have to confess them to everybody like I have to. I'm talking about, just checking. When we confess them to one another, your sin comes out of the darkness into the light of day and now you can deal with it. It loses its power. It loses its grip. Some of us would rather die than confess our sin to another human being. Or even admit it to ourselves. You know what? Your life will be dull. Oh, come on. That was a great pun. And you missed it. (laughs) Iron sharpens iron. You never confess. You're going to be a dullard. You need to be sharp. We need to be sharp. In that same passage in James chapter 5, it says that for those that bring another person back who has wandered from the faith, there's great blessing. There's a reward from God. Do you have anyone in your life that if you wandered from the faith would cross heaven and earth to find you and bring you back? I've seen it happen in this church. People's lives go way off the rails. And other men and women put their relationship on the line to go and say, this isn't right. And I love you too much to just talk about you behind your back. I'm I'm here to say, Look, this is wrong. You need to come back to your wife. You need to come back to your kids. That's what relationship is. That's what not being alone looks like. It's messy. 
There are tears. And most of us, I'm not going to lie, here in Buckley and Manistee, I'm, I'm speaking and words will fall on your deaf ears. Because self, the sin of self-sufficiency is more important to you than opening yourself up to any other human being. And it's your loss. It's your loss. Paul says, let us consider how to stir up one another. To stir up. Then he says this, not, neglect, not neglecting to meet together. Not neglecting to meet together. He's saying, hey, let's make it regular. One thing that we have learned through this last year is how much we need to meet together in person. I'm finding my philosophy of ministry is changing. It says in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus said, he says, where two or three or more are gathered in my name, my spirit is right there with them. Now, I know he's a big God and his Holy Spirit can go anywhere and everywhere. And yes, I believe that that can happen on a Zoom. I'm in a group on a Zoom and I've seen the Holy Spirit show up where six or seven of us are together on a Zoom. The Holy Spirit's right there with us. However, I want to say this. When we are in the same room together, two or three or more gathered in his name, it's different, isn't it? And it took a quarantine or, or self-quarantine or, or fear and not coming in and watching on a screen for a long time to realize how desperate we were for that. You know what we're desperate for? It's not for one another. It's for the Holy Spirit in one another. We need one another. And when we find a crew and we don't stop meeting together, we get that two or more and we're part of the living body of Christ himself. Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, both of these chapters refer to the fact that the church is one body with many parts, one body with many members, and Christ is the head of the body. And some of us are a finger, and some of us are an ankle, and some of us are a freckle, and some of us have removed ourselves from the body. We claim to be a part of the church, but we're not connected anywhere because we stop meeting together and it's not just on a weekend it's meeting together in coffee shops it's meeting together outside on a beautiful day it's meeting together in one another's homes it says in acts chapter 2 that the very first church the early church they devoted themselves to the teaching to the fellowship to the breaking of bread When was the last time you just got another couple and said, hey, let's just go do dinner. Service is over. Let's just go do dinner. Let's pawn off the kids to some teenager. Let's have some adult, deep conversation. That's what happens with a crew. He says, let us consider how to stir up one another, meet together. And then he says, encouraging one another. The encouragement. That is huge. The encouragement. And some of us, we're living this Christian life alone and we don't have that encouragement. In fact, I've seen this. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but this has happened more than once in the last 18 years. Is there some horrible tragedy hits someone's life and no one calls from the church? It's because no one really knows you. You've kept us at arm's length. 
And then there's anger. And we, we're like, why didn't you tell us? We want to be in the crew. And, and, and I say this with all humility. I can't be in everyone's crew. But Jesus can. Some of you still think I know the names of your children. I don't. There's the tall one and there's the little one. And I can mostly tell the genders. And I'm not showing off. I'm just saying when, when you're here, it's easy to know my name. I may not know your name. But we can know one another's name. Right? I've got a crew. Do you have a crew? The good news is, is in someday in heaven, we'll all be just one big crew and it'll be different. But time and space limit us right now. You know, during that fast... When it was over, after my friend said, you know what, man, that was just so cool. It started out mean with the surf and turf pick and the ribeye and chewing iguanas' faces. You know, there's another one, this guy, he, he, he texted, he goes, do eating the, the leaves off of trees count? And I was like, yes, it counts, stop it, right, you know? Uh, in the middle of that pain, I knew what I was gonna do because I knew this message was coming. And I asked those same guys, hey, would you text me what God taught you during the fast? Because remember, the fast was about drawing near. Are you with me, church? Are you with me, Manistee? Hope you're with me. All right. What did God teach you? Because I knew these guys, and these guys love Jesus, right? They're not perfect guys, and neither am I. But they love Jesus. What did God teach you? And, and I want to read to you, word for word, what these guys shared. This was the first one. He said, sharing the burden with brothers was way easier than doing it by yourself. Testimony on why Fight Club is so valuable. To form a bond and a trust with other men, that would be hard to duplicate elsewhere. I didn't ask him to say that. I didn't ask him to get, oh, this is another trick for John to get me to do something I don't want to do. But that is a testimony. Sharing the burden. Here's the next one. This guy wrote, the power of influence and encouragement was on full display. It's motivating and inspiring to see my fellow brothers in Christ willingly suffer in hopes of growing their relationship with Jesus. Knowing we are on this journey together, whether it's self-inflicted suffering or unforeseen tragedy, is not only comforting, but a blessing. There is power in community. You know, I'm just thinking, just in those two texts, it's like, yeah, I learned that too, again. Yeah, you're right. And if that's all I learned in the fast, that was good enough. That the Christian life's not meant to be lived alone and I need help. There's one more. This guy wrote, I realized in the military that being miserable as a group can actually build a bond. While fasting, I felt that again, as we were in it together, the real message of our funny back and forth texts was, I'm in this with you. No pain or discomfort I can feel will ever come close to what Jesus felt. But maybe a little discomfort can focus my mind on what he did for me just a little more. It's no coincidence 
that in times of tragedy, pain, and fear, I have grown closest to God. Maybe it's because I actually shut up and sought after God. Or maybe it's because in vulnerable times, we get out of his way and his power can move in our lives most freely. You know, Jesus promised us, never will I leave you nor forsake you. He said, surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. He promised us his presence. He is faithful to his promises. And I wonder if part of his being with us is not just his Holy Spirit that lives in us. The Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. And as that statement is true, I believe that you and I have the opportunity to be Jesus with skin on for one another. When we're in that relationship, it sharpens, it encourages, sometimes it rebukes, sometimes it brings back. But not if you keep the church, not if you keep those relationships at an arm's length. I get it, I know, you're the exception. You're you're more sufficient than Jesus. You're more self-sufficient than the Trinity, than Moses, than David, than Elijah, than Adam. You're the castaway, right? Do you guys hear my sarcasm? That's not to be mean. It's because we know it's true. And when Jesus said, and when he promised faithfully, I'll never leave you and forsake you, what if it's because part of that, yeah, it's a spirit, but it's also the two or three or more gathered together in a crew? Do you have a crew? Do you have a crew? The band's going to come out, both of our campuses, and we're going to sing. But before we do, I wonder if you'd just bow your heads with me. And that's just to create less distraction. We're not trying to get any emotional pull out of anybody. If you feel a little uncomfortable, good. If you can't name those people right now that you could rely on when you really needed help, or if there's no one that's really relying on you, and I didn't say this before, but I'm going to say it right now, your spouse doesn't count because he or she has to. I'm talking about the ones that don't. The ones that we willingly seek after and open up ourselves to. The friendship of David and Jonathan with more than one. If you don't have anyone like that, it's not too late to find one. Christian friends, Biblical relationships, iron that'll sharpen you. You need it to have his life breathed into you and through you. Father God, thank you for your example of community and perfect relationship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus, thank you that you modeled what biblical community should look like by calling 12 and trusting yourself to three and they were messed up and they were jacked up and they hurt each other. 
God, would you help us not to be afraid, but to be willing to wade into the messed up brokenness of one another's lives, that we would quit hiding, that instead we would learn to love one another as we love ourselves. God, would you forgive me for the sin of self-sufficiency, for the sin of being isolated and all of the hurt that comes out of that, all of the sin that that leads to, to self-righteousness and self-centeredness. God, would you help us to draw near, to hold fast and consider how we can stir up, how we can encourage. God, you're the best. I thank you for your faithfulness that you'll show up with skin on to one another in Christian relationship. God, I help, or I ask that you would help us to find it, to step out. It's in Christ's name that we ask, in Christ's name that we pray, amen.